Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and welcome to the Friday Conversation. Very excited to be here with some of my, some of my favorite people. Always great to uh, to chat with all of you. So, Tim, will you start us off with an introduction, please, sir? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm uh, Tim Hardy. I'm a UK-based um, author. I'm probably best known for um, writing um, Hall of Bones, which was a um, Spiffbo um, finalist entry uh, a couple of years ago. And, um, yeah, sort of got roped into... Uh, broadening my palette i think which is kind of why we're here tonight really so uh, yeah i've got involved in the the anatomy of fear uh, as one of my antholo- first anthology project which is really exciting yeah i want to learn more about that and uh holly i'm holly tinsley i am the author of the vanguard chronicles uh we men of ash and shadow was an sbfbo7 finalist same year as tim um i also have a second book in the series out the hand that cast the bone and I'm currently working on a standalone, which hopefully will be out in early next year. I'm just mentioning that now because I've been working on it all day today. So currently on a writing high. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I was involved in the Anatomy of Fear, um, which we'll talk a little bit about throughout this session. And Zamil. I'm Zamil Akhtar. Uh, I'm based in Dubai and I'm the author of Gunmetal Gods, Saga, and Lightblade. Uh, Anatomy of Fear is my first anthology, uh, but I had so much fun with it, so it'll probably not be my last. Oh, wow. Before we get into the Anatomy of Fear, and I want to learn all about that, I was curious, Holly, when you get on a riding high, is it hard to stop when you get that just like you, like you get a runner's high? Is it kind of the same thing? They get like a the endorphins flowing? I mean, I haven't actually had one for about six months, so I'm, I'm going to try and write this one for as long as I can and hopefully get a book out. Um, it is it's a lot of fun because I think when you get in the, the zone, and especially when you're, I'm at the end of the production now, so we're doing things like the cover and the blurb and oh. kind of pulling it all together, and you start seeing it as a finished product, it's... Uh, it kind of reinvigorates you, you know, you get the excitement with the first draft of the new story, but then I'm sure the others will agree, you go through the editing process and after a while you just think, I don't want to look at this anymore. Um, but then when you actually get to this stage, it becomes exciting again. So that's that's currently where I'm at. Hmm. Yes, it, I, w- I would imagine that's uh, when you when you catch that lightning in a bottle, it's good to, to milk it for as, as long as you can. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm 100% driving my family crazy at the moment. Um, and I will probably be awake until quite early in the hour, early hours of the morning today, just tweaking the cover and changing colours and things like that. But, yeah, it's, it's just what you do. <laughs> no big deal. Just writing a book, no big deal. It's just uh, part of the antisocial hours of an author. <laughs> So the uh, the anatomy of fear. Uh, where did it start? What was the what was the spark that that uh, started the whole idea? Uh, well, I mean, he's probably fed up with me saying this, but um, it actually all started with uh, P.L. Stewart, the uh, mm. author of the Drowned Kingdom, who I, I know that you know. He came to me at some point. I don't even know why this conversation happened, but he. He had this idea, he said, wouldn't it be cool if we did an anthology? We both know a lot of really good authors. We both um, like different styles. We kind of have some good contacts. Let's see if we can put something together. And I said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, And then we kind of 
went out to a, a list of authors we wanted to get involved, not really thinking that we would get immediate responses or that there would be a bit of back and forth. Um, we emailed 12 authors and all 12 of them came back and said, yeah, we're on board. When are we starting? Let's get this thing going. And we kind of thought, oh, right, okay, we've actually got to do it now. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where it started from. And then we just really ran with it. Wow. So for Tim and Zamilla, does this, do these happen often? Do you get offers or do you get ideas like this pitched to you often? No. Uh, this was the first time anyone had ever invited me to an anthology. Uh, and I love horror, so for me it was just an immediate yes. Um, I think the challenging part was the theme, like you have to pick a body part. So it took me a long time to pick one. But other than that, I was very happy, you know, like, very excited. <laughs> yeah, it was the same, same for me and first time doing anything collaborative like this. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why I decided to do it, because it's, uh, you know, writing is quite, it's obviously by definition a bit of a lonely soul profession normally. So it's a very different dynamic when you're working with 12 other yeah. people. And, and that was... Um, yeah, I found that really quite a really encouraging bit of the process, actually, because you're um, everyone sort of encouraged each other. We all kind of formed um, sort of beat, small beta teams uh, of about groups of four, so we were all reading each other's stories quite early on as well, which I think it just helps him improve it. So, um, so yeah, I like the collaborative side, and um, yeah, it was one of those things that when when you get invited to do something like this, you, you really got to say yes, haven't you? And <laughs> that it was it felt like a no brainer really, but it was a, it was a really that early stage in particular was a really rewarding, like creative experience for me, I think. I would imagine it'd be hard to say no to a bunch of people that you respect and admire to invite you to something and you say you pass on it. I think that'd be, that'd be tough to not be involved as they're moving forward and having a good time with it. Yeah, definitely. The, the reason you'd say no is imposter <laughs> syndrome. And I, I fight that monster. We all yeah. do don't we? Every, every single day. So I think I've always tried to take the view that if an opportunity comes along, you've got to have a really good reason for saying no to that and you know thinking you're not good enough or it's not for you is not a good reason you've got to push yourself with this stuff so that, yeah it was a uh, it was it was a no-brainer but you're still going to make sure you actually click yes rather than no uh, <laughs> at the final moment can i can i just add to that as well that um tim has actually been part of my like feedback group for my own writing for quite a while now so he obviously knows me quite well so really in his case there really wasn't an option to say no because i probably would have forced him to <laughs> hunted him down and made him do it <laughs> yeah thanks i feel quite afraid <laughs> when you when you put it like that but uh, yeah i was delighted to come on board and yeah holly gave me no choice whatsoever yeah <laughs> uh when you uh so when it was decided that everyone would pick a body part did anyone did anyone pick the same body part and if so how did you decide who took that body part i think there was a few i think the lee c Connolly. he had a choice of about three different body parts that he was mm. willing to to work with um and i think uh one of the other authors decided that they would prefer one of those so and it was all very polite there was a lot of negotiation and you know it's like well if you take my leg i'll take your elbow that kind of thing uh, but i mean i think everyone made their choices pretty quickly from what i remember i actually originally picked hand and i wrote like half a story with hand and then i i and then i had like a much better idea for skin 
So oh. I I went around on the on the group that we had asking if like anyone had chosen skin, and luckily enough, no one had chosen it yet. So I switched from hand to skin. Yeah, I, I didn't know you'd done that actually. It was quite because um, yeah, for me again, as you go through the process of sort of editing and beta reading these things and so on, um, everyone's story becomes really really distinct. So like the hand body part that ended up going to Bjorn Larsen in the end and he's written a um, really uh, sort of distinctive tale taking that body part which obviously wouldn't have happened if Zemel had stuck with the hand so it's really interesting to think about what might have been as well if we'd sort of gone the um, gone the other way um, I, I really wrestled with my body part I got ears and I say I, I was a little bit late to the party everyone Holly saying it was very polite it was all very polite but I was number 12 to pick and you know sort of like sifting through body parts trying to choose one that's actually left that you feel like there might be some creative spark and uh, I, I sort of na I narrowed it down to, um, I did have this, I thought, could I go comedy horror and do dandruff as being my um, body part? So you'd have like the creeping terror of it sort of like coming out your, your scalp or whatever. But um, <laughs> I didn't think I could probably make that idea fly as my first ever foray into horror. So I, I went with ears in the end, which I still struggled with until I flipped that to sound. Mm. So I sort of played, again, played a bit with the idea to kind of come up with the, where the horror element of that actually came in but yeah it was pretty it was pretty there's a lot of body parts when you start dividing up amongst 12 people which is a good thing yeah i think everyone felt they had they had something they could work with and that gave them the good ideas and they were able to, able to run with it like, like zamel says if you have if it wasn't quite going right you could you know there was plenty of room at the beginning to sort of change things around and and find a different way into it what was the strangest body part someone picked well, probably dandruff was, you know, which, which no one ever fought me for. Um, but I'm trying to think what else there, um, what else I, there was. I thought um, toes was quite a an outside choice. Like the bright uh, B. A. Bellick did toes, um, and it actually it completely made sense when you read the story. But at the time, I was thinking, you know, it's like, well, how is he going to make toes scary? Uh, but you know, he he worked his magic on it, and and he managed it. So I'm very impressed with that. Oh, and did you have a list of, of available body parts or did you just pick whatever part you want and it'll be off the list? Total free for all. <laughs> Trying not to make it sound yeah. weird, but yes, that's basically what happened. <laughs> I think we're past that. <laughs> but uh, so the, the idea was decided and, and we you, you all decided to move forward and it's, it's great that you uh, use Kickstarter to help fund the project and it's there's a lot involved in an, in an anthology. So how, what was that experience like to, to do, put it on Kickstarter? I mean, my part of it was um, really at the beginning, kind of putting it all together. Um, Tim and Jacob had the, uh, the, the honour and the pleasure of doing most of the heavy lifting towards the end, which I'm very grateful for. But uh, it, was, it was a really interesting experience. I'd never done or considered doing a kickstarter before so uh, lots of people pitched in even from outside the author group so i had people who had uh, you know previously done successful kickstarters who were kind of giving advice and guidance uh, and it was i mean for the first few weeks that it was running it was like a full-time job to make sure things were getting updated and that we were you know keeping on top of the the budgets and the the rewards that we wanted to get out it was I mean, it's a lot of work. It was a lot more than I initially anticipated, but well worth doing. 
uh, I think the promo side of it's the, the bit that you know it, it, when you launch your book on your own it's it's a very different process but with, with Kickstarter it kind of gives you that natural buzz and you're right it, it's almost like a runaway train in some ways because you're um, you know as you as you sort of hit your, hit your goals and start to think about stretch goals and things I must admit I wasn't necessarily expecting with this being our first sort of thing that, that we we get that far into it and all of a sudden yeah you're having to be quite quite creative but also still retain budgetary <laughs> budgetary control at the same time which is kind of where I, I was kind of given the job of actually managing the finances for the project mm. so um yeah sort of like thinking is that okay can we can we do that you know having to do a lot of maths quite you know so it's all, all very creative and at the same time there's a kind of like a business angle that comes in as well um so you don't want to look you don't want to sort of like not ride that positive way but also you don't want to commit to stuff you can't deliver so it's quite a weird mix of creativity and business actually enjoyed doing it but i was really glad holly was leading leading that earlier stage because it it was a bit of a roller coaster wasn't it oh it 100 (laughs) percent it's like three months of my life just i don't know where they went a lot of work and i I saw the uh i saw the announcement i couldn't click fast enough so it was. It was. Uh, how can you say no to such a great lineup of uh, of authors? I'm keeping my eyes on on Zamil's uh, collections edition too. I'm I'm watching every day. Yeah, that. Uh, I know what they mean about Kickstarter feeling like a full time job because, uh, yeah, these things are are a lot of work, um, but it opens you up to a whole new audience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like there's a Kindle audience and there's also a separate Kickstarter audience. So I think for for all indies going forward, Kickstarter should sort of be in their, you know, in their line of sight as an option uh, because it is a whole new audience. And it's like you're diversifying, um, you know, away from just Amazon. Mm hmm. And not only the, not only having all of you feed feed off each other creatively, but also um, if someone is a Tim of is a fan of Tim's, and they read the book and they say, "Oh, who is H. L. Tinsley?" and like, "Wow, this is a great story. I'm going to check out other things that this person's done." So, it's a it's a chance to to meet to widen your audience too, and the whole experience. Yeah, I think as well, it's it's great for the authors in terms of moving into genres that they'd maybe be interested in exploring later and kind of taking that existing audience with them and, and trying something new and giving them like a taste of, you know, a different world or a different genre and then seeing how that kind of plays out with that audience as well. So it's it's growing new audience, but it's also helping to kind of stretch out the audience that's already there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Were all of you surprised at the response? I mean, I, d- I don't. I don't know whether I was or not because I think I had, I had a lot of faith in the the lineup of authors. I mean, we straight away we were going for some, you know, from my point of view, really heavy hitters. I mean, there was a couple of people that we got on board that you know I was physically shaking when I sent the email to ask them if they wanted <laughs> to get on board with the project. So I was like, that that they're going to be too busy and they're not going to know who I am, and it's just. So I think. I knew that there was pulling power just from the fact that we'd got so many, you know, really high quality authors. I think I was more worried about my ability to market it and promote it the right way. That was where my real fear came in. 
Yeah, it was kind of just a journey into the unknown in many respects for me. You know, first anthology, but first Kickstarter as well, and no experience this whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, knowing what to expect. I, I think, yeah, I, I, a bit like Holly, I had, I had really confident, I had confidence in the lineup, I had confidence in the, in the sort of product and what we were producing was good, but. Um, but yeah, sort of like getting a bunch of, you know, basically straight. I know I know selling books, you're selling books to strangers, aren't you? That is the whole business model, and I need to remember that. But it's sort of a bit more public when you're being publicly supported that way. And, you know, I, I suppose it did feel like a bit of a risk, but then it, you sort of, that, that initial response was really strong. And I thought, although it's sort of like the classic Kickstarter of big response, tailed off in the middle, then rocketed back up again towards the end. Um, yeah, but once we got through that first goal, that first target, I knew we were onto a winner because then the numbers just kept, you know, kept sort of scrolling around. It was <laughs> that bit was great as the finance guru. <laughs> that bit was great. <laughs> and I was, I was curious about the physical rewards when you when you have a physical uh, like a tier that has physical uh, books that you send out to people. Does does someone from the team have to do that, or just how, what role does Kickstarter play in all that, or is it all up to you to get all that done? It depends a bit on your model again and how you're doing it. So I think some people, when they'll do a Kickstarter, that they'll cost it having a company do that, to do the delivery of every you know things for fulfillment basically for for you both electronic and um, you know physical stuff. Uh, we we chose not to do that, and uh, I'm still not entirely sure whether it was a wise a wise decision to make. But we we did it that way. So yeah, we we basically took that on as part of the, the team effort. So uh, I, I did the digital rewards and sent them out. In a, and um, sort of contact people that, that way again through Kickstarter basically and then um, Jacob Sanex was responsible for um, I mean it sounds so glamorous doesn't it but he basically went to a bargain booze um, outlet in, in his hometown and um, shipped these books out in sort of batches of um, 10 to 20 um, and uh, I don't, don't, don't think he dares to show his face in the po local post office at the moment because he had this angry queue of British people love to queue and you know but we don't like to queue for hours while somebody is posting parcel after mm. parcel after parcel to far flung places of the world and that was the other bit that was quite challenging was i suppose i expected to be the u.s market to be big in britain but actually we got people from all around the world back in this project so yeah yeah having to send stuff to some very far flung weird and wonderful places around around the globe mm. and your local post office isn't really geared up for that so i think i think it worked perfectly well but I can also see why some people go with a company to fulfill those kind of elements so that you can do it through, you know, going to a publishing house and getting them to sort of basically package, produce and ship that book out, out for you, which comes with its own costs. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's creative and it's fun, but it's also business all, all mixed together in this quite sort of like frantic, uh, frantic cocktail. So, I mean, I, I think I had the easy job, honestly, Jacob at the end sending those books out to everybody and they're, they're all shipped. So everyone that's backed it and everyone that's funded us, all the rewards are out there. All the physical rewards are, are winging their way around the world. And it's really fun, actually, because they're sort of landing now in sort of every day, every sort of day or so you're seeing some, something new. But it, it's sort of, obviously the further it's got to go, the longer it's going to take. So for some people, we're probably going to see things land over the next couple of weeks, I should think, for a lot of people. Yeah, I'm, I'm checking my mailbox. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's coming. Honestly, I've seen it. I've, seen, I've signed off the receipt. No, I know yeah, it's gone. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to dig into it when I get my hands on it. But yeah, it's great. I would imagine shipping costs are really expensive, though. Yes, <laughs> I mean not so shipping to UK and stuff. Not not a big, not great, Jake's. But yeah, going 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 further afield, that that cost obviously goes up. So it's one of the reasons why 
you, you have to ship and, and accept that things can't necessarily ship quickly. I mean, I could get, you know, I could have got it to you tomorrow, Steve, <laughs> if I really wanted to, but um, you, you'd have had to have paid me like a hundred quid for the book. So it, it's about that balance between what people are prepared to pay, yeah. and, you know, what, you know, that sort of being, are they prepared to wait? I suppose as well. So it, there's some quite. There was a hugely complicated spreadsheet that you put together, didn't you, Holly, with um, a calculator of what our shipping costs ultimately would be. Mm. Uh, you know, there's the fun stuff people wanted to tune in to listen to on this podcast. I'm absolutely sure, but <laughs> this huge spreadsheet with all these different different destinations and what the shipping costs would be for that one, and um, trying to come up with, you know, basically we Kickstarter enables you to sort of price according to the destination. Mm. So it's cheaper to back it in the UK because it's easier for us to ship from there than it would be to say, um, go to, to Australia, for example, where we've got some backers. So it, d- it did some of those calculations for you. Yeah, I think getting it to me, the, <clears throat> I think getting it to me the next day would be like a kidney or something we'd have to give up. That'd be, it'd be pretty expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we want people to be keen, don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, that there's a limit. We're, you know, we don't, we don't expect too much from our, um, our, our fans. No, I think most people who, who, uh, who back a, a project on Kickstarter or you know, something like this? It, they, they're patient because even though it takes time, it's you know it takes time to get it all together to fund it and then to organize it. So I, th- I think most people are understanding with all that stuff. I would imagine. That's good to hear. Yeah. The um, so for the uh, for the cover, I love the cover. The cover was great. How did that come together? Uh, we actually. That was really straightforward. It was wasn't it, yeah, Holly? it was really was straightforward. No there were all. no no delays or issues at all on it. Uh, it was it was probably the most challenging element of the whole project. Uh, we, I think, we initially found an artist. They started working on it. Um, really great person. Unfortunately for their own reasons weren't able to continue um so we thought okay we'll get someone else and i think by the time we got to about the fifth artist that we'd started working with we were really starting to panic you know we we, we were at the stage of thinking that you know tim was going to have to draw this cover for us um fortunately <laughs> fortunately we we didn't have to go down that route uh, we found an artist called Dawn Larder, who uh, is actually, funnily enough, doing my next cover for me now. So that's oh. that's quite cool because we're going to carry on working together. But she she agreed to come on board with the project and we we gave her a brief for the, the cover and kind of what we wanted from the illustrations. All of the individual authors gave, you know, a, a kind of rough brief and some keywords as to what they wanted for their own pictures because everyone got their own individual one. And she was just great to work with from start to finish. I mean, she was so quick and on board and responsive. You know, we were, I think it was fate in the end that we found her. Yeah, well, the two of us, Holly, I've spoken to you about this, but we've been just, we've just started looking into an an anthology for our, uh, our community forums. And I hadn't even started any work on it. I just, I just looked into it. Like I knew it wasn't easy. But I, when I just explored it, it was like, wow, there's a lot involved. In it's like a lot more than I, a lot more than I could ever. I knew it wasn't easy, but I thought, wow, this is a, a lot of stuff to do. So there's a, it's a lot of work to put an anthology together. It it's a hundred percent. It's a lot of work, but I think the best 
thing that you can do is get a really good team behind you so I mean we had our core production team working but even within like the general group of authors we had everybody was chipping in with different things so some people were producing things for uh, kickstarter rewards for us um, so doing things like narration and we had people doing video work for us and going out and doing promos so I think if you've got a really good solid team behind you you definitely find that the work doesn't lessen, but it's definitely more enjoyable, and it a lot of the time it doesn't feel so much like work. Hmm. Yes. Uh, Zamil, how long did it take you to write your story, and were you surprised with the different format with writing a short story versus a, a longer form? Yeah, I think short stories are, in a way, more challenging because you have to you have to end them fairly quickly. And so, like, with a novel, you can just write as much as you want until you get to the ending. But we had, like, a word, you know, we had, it was 10,000 words, right? We had, like, a, a strict sort of limit, like, don't go past 10,000 words. Um, and, you know, so that, I think, is the most challenging part. Because you can just start writing your story and just keep going. And then, oh, sh- I have to end it, like, within a 1,000 words now. So... I, I did have to rewrite the ending a few times. That was definitely the, the mm. hardest bit to get right. Um, but, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun. I've written horror short stories before. Um, and I think they're just so fun because they're not, you know, they're not really like, like with fantasy. Fantasy is all about achieving these huge moments of storytelling and these epic like feats and stuff. But horror is really just about one thing. It's about creeping out the reader. So you can creep the reader out in, in a subtle way or you can do it in a more like, you know, uh, obvious uh, way. So but the end result is the same. You got to creep the reader out. Right. So um, and, and from what from the stories I read in this anthology, uh, everyone went about it in really interesting ways. And there's a lot of variety in how they went about it. So, yeah, it was just, you know, a ton of fun. And it took me a while, I think, to to. It took me, you know, over a few weeks to really Hmm. get it right. Hmm. Was it the same for you, Tim, Uh, the short story format? Um, Well, I've been playing around with the short story format for a couple of years. So when I first started creatively writing, it was um, novels. I thought, why stop the short story when you can write a longer one? And it was as it was as dumb as that, but I just felt you know novels were where it where it was at. That's what people read generally. So that's that's the format I started using first, and I didn't find it very easy. And I think looking back, I would have been better honing some of my skills with short mm. stories because when I started doing that a couple of years ago, I found it really helpful as like a bit of a mental reset. So I found I've actually incorporated that now very much into my writing routines. While I'm working on novels and still will always do that, but at certain key points I'll have a break and I'll write a short story. Um, which I, I, I tend to use those as um, I give them out as part of my, my newsletter. So they're, they're kind of like a, they're a bit of a promotional thing, but they're also very much for me a writing and creative aid mm. as well. Um, so, yeah, I kind of felt, I think for some of the contributors, they hadn't written short fiction before. So, so not like me and Zama, where maybe we're using it more regularly. And they found that quite, that whole thing of 10,000 words quite hard. I kind of actually, I found it easy to write once I knew what I was writing. I found the most difficult bit for me was what am I going to do with ears? 
So as soon as I'd <laughs> as soon as I'd figured out figured that out, that the story came actually really quickly. I was quite quite pleased about that. But I think it's partly down to that practice of all the pacing is very different over you know five thousand words or ten thousand words. You, it's a it's a totally different exercise, but it really makes you focus on what matters to tell a story. And you know, like someone will say, you know, what what effect am I trying to go for? So obviously, I'm trying to go for creeping people out and giving them that sort of feeling of unease that that horror that horror has that sort of unsettling feeling so you know i think so i knew i knew how to write a short story but knowing how to write a horror one was um yeah that was slightly more challenging just sort of figuring out how to to get that tone right i think i got there in the end but uh but yeah I, I do i really like short fiction i've got to say in some ways it's the, my favorite form of writing now and i wouldn't have said that if you'd asked me that say you know three or four years huh. ago uh, what about you holly well, for this particular one, I cheated. <laughs> so, I mean, I actually used a story that I had already written quite a while ago. Um, I'm a big believer in that, you know, quite often you'll write something and you don't quite know what it's for at the time, but then at some point you'll figure out, oh, okay, well, this story actually belongs here or I can repurpose it for this. So I keep everything. Even if it's terrible, I keep everything. Um <laughs> I mean, most of it's probably terrible, but uh, in terms of actually writing short stories, uh, I I do struggle a little bit with them. I mean, I do write short stories. I try and keep a, a hand in that sort of uh, writing style just to, to keep myself in the practice. If I am writing short stories, I tend to lean more towards horror anyway. So I just find it's a genre that lends itself really nicely to that, you know, short, sharp impact type of story. Uh, I definitely struggle with fantasy in a short story. I find that really mm. difficult because fantasy is a lot of world building and it's a lot of gradual build up. So to encapsulate that in kind of 10,000 words is something I do struggle with. But I've written a couple of uh, like gothic shorts. I find like the gothic um, style works really well for short stories. I think it's just one of those things that whether you love them or you hate them, I think the more you do them, the better it is for you as a writer. And I think you pick up a lot of skills from it that you probably wouldn't necessarily pick up doing a longer novel. Hmm. I would imagine you probably write something that you feel is terrible and then you come back to it later and it ends up being something great. So I think it, it's good to keep, I would imagine it's good to keep things around that you're not crazy about because you can come back later, or at least pick the bones off and find something that you, to inspire you later. I mean, I don't know if the, the guys will agree with me, but I think part of being an author is that constant pendulum swinging of, you know, you're looking what you're done and thinking, oh, this is absolute trash fire. And then a day later going, I'm a genius. Yes, yeah, so I can confirm that is the normal author experience. I don't know whether Zamel would agree on that one, but yeah, I'm very much, you know, the same words, different day, different reaction. It's very disorienting. Um, you know, it's... it's uh... It's nauseating, actually, because mm. you the the swings are very real, and it's like you don't know what the reality is, you know. It's, so it's like you, uh, yeah. It's 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 a uniquely, uh, uh, you know, it's uniquely an author experience that is like just probably probably one of the more difficult things, you know, you have to overcome as an author. Hmm. For. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to say, I think that was, again, going back to the point I think I made earlier on, the 12 was mm. working together. It did help that side. I found I felt I was more confident with my story 
putting it out there because a few people have beta read it and said it wasn't it wasn't a heap of trash that should be burned immediately um and uh, so yeah i think that that's i think it working together collectively i think it's i definitely would like to do i definitely want to do it again and will do it again because it's uh it's yeah novels where i, I want to be at that that's kind of my, my love of the craft is where it sits that's the form i prefer the most but doing this other sort of these other kind of ways to be creative it it kind of fills the well and uh, you know again it just makes you i think a bit more resilient actually to something you know those you know that that pendulum zamel's describing it's awful actually at times it can be really debilitating as a writer to get out get creative and get out brought out there but i i found with this one i was more on a high than it was in in the low the low stages of that sort of development really see mm. you didn't think when you started this earlier steve that this was going to turn into an author therapy session it usually does it usually does <laughs> For all of us, I'm here for it. Yeah. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. For uh, for any of your stories, did, did, speaking of like f- you know taking old I- ideas you've had previously, did anything that you've written before, uh, you know, kind of find a place in your short story in this anthology? Um, I've written like a lot of these. Uh, short stories for no sleep so no sleep is a reddit uh, forum where you write in in the first person and you write the stories as if they are happening to you and everyone sort of role plays along and you know you're not supposed to break that immersion it's supposed to sound true so that's how i actually started this short story i started it with that intention in mind like okay i'm gonna write this from first person as if it actually happened to me and it's going to start sort of like, like, you know, in exactly in that way, like, OK, I'm, 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 I'm making a post online and like telling what happened to me, basically. So that sort of I feel like that approach helped because it just like if you're if you're telling a story online, you're not too worried about how you're telling the story, like in terms of like, are you being literary? Are you like? you know, choosing the perfect words. No, you're just putting the story down and you just want people to understand what happened to you. So that approach, um, you know, I I took it from the days when I wrote uh, uh, for No Sleep, but it helped me to just like Hmm. get the story down. Hmm. Yeah, I I was complete opposite what Zamel's just described because um, I didn't set it in anything any it was a completely new world for me to actually tell this story because I wanted to push it into um, a couple of people who kind of went modern day which was which was absolutely fine my sort of stuff tends to be you know you I suppose I'm best known for that sort of Viking fantasy that kind of that kind of era and I, I didn't I couldn't feel feel my way into writing horror in that timeline I know some people do Lee, Lee Conley is very good at it for example but I just couldn't come up with the ideas so I pushed it forward in time it meant I needed a new world with just like different technology so I went 1800s feel so both affecting my first foray into gas lamp hmm. um, territory in that respect um, so yeah I, I, there was nothing I had nothing <laughs> nothing lying around that I could just repurpose for this whatsoever I had to basically create a new world new characters new magic system uh, a couple of authors have, have done this, and you know, I thought, "Crikey, I'm doing all this for ten for ten thousand words." But it, it was again, it was quite refreshing to do something different. That went again, stretch the stretch the sort of writing muscles a bit, really. Um, and I think 
I like that that world I've created now. I like it. And I, I do feel like there's a novel in there. I think there's some, you know, something I can take those ideas and, and run with it. Another reason why I did this was just to stir things up a little bit. But yes, yeah, so for me, it was completely new and uh, had to do that world building a bit like the, the Wallace and Gromit cartoon where the railway tracks were having to be built in front of him all the time, all the time as it goes round on on the train. Because it, it, yeah, you I, you need just enough to tell the story. But no, no more to, to weigh it down because obviously you've got, you know, you've only got that limited number of words to play with. But yeah, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed that side of creating something completely new and then really thinking there's there's potential for more here as well. Wow, so we may see a gas lamp uh, novel, huh? Yep, that's wow. right. <laughs> that's cool. It's exciting. And is uh, Holly? I think you'd mentioned about you know, fantasy short stories that they're hard to write because you have all this world building and things you have to build around it. Is that why we don't have more anthologies for fantasy? Because there, there is so much world building that you have to have, or, or can you just say like, this is Gaslamp or this is Viking or this is something and just write a story in it, it. Cause we don't have very many fantasy collections, short story collections. I think it's, it's sort of a, a two pronged thing, really. I think that, a, that it's, I mean, as we've discussed, it's an awful lot of work to put an anthology together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we, we got really lucky with the group that we got, the, the communication between all the authors and between Sarah Chorn, who did our editing, and it was all very smooth. And, you know, if there was an issue, usually it would be resolved within, like, an hour or two. You know, someone mm-hmm. would say, hey, I'm stuck on this. Can I have a bit of help with it? Or can someone read this? Um, whereas I think I've known other groups where you know just the process of writing the stories can drag on and on for you know a, a year if not more and so i think there is that element of it um you do need to have a lot of organization you do need to have a really strong leadership hmm. but at the same time i also think it's that there are actually a lot of anthologies out there and, and are being made but they're just maybe not being picked up or not being noticed um hmm. you know as i'm i think this is going to be by the end of this year, I'll have done either three or four anthologies over the last 18 months to two years. Mm. Uh, all So I did Skybreaker with Lee C. Connolly and um, Jay Hannaford and a couple of others. Um, there's another one coming up, which I think Tim will confirm. The Kickstarter is now fully funded for the advent of winter. Um, so oh, that's yeah. going to be in, in progress soon. Um, I know you yourself are looking at putting together an anthology so you know they are out there i think it's just getting those eyes on them and getting the the audience to see that they're there and that they're available yeah it's it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot of work and it like i said i've, I've talked to it i i f- kind of felt a little silly because i've talked to so many authors about short stories and anthologies and then so well i know there's a lot of work but let me look into it and i was like wow there's a lot more than I anticipated. There's a lot that goes into it and a lot of moving parts because you're dealing not only just with your, it's not just you, it's you're in a team almost that you have other people with different responsibilities and you have to count on people and, uh, you know, give that, give that some of that control over. And was that weird for anyone to, to kind of, cause you're so used to writing your own things. And of course you have an editor and you have feedback, but when, when they're involved in the day to day, was that weird for any of you to have some, to have a, a team? involved in decision making like that not for me because I definitely have a team that I work with that we call ourselves team vanguard so I'm very much used to working with that dynamic so for me it was it kind of felt very comfortable but you know obviously 
for some people it was their first time working with an editor it was their first time uh, collaborating so yeah I think it was an interesting experience for a lot of people in a good way Yeah, I think the, the control point's interesting because it was very supportive. Don't get me wrong; it was very support. You know, still is a very supportive group. And it's been it's been great getting to know people and, and so on. But again, I'm I'm a one man band author, so like Holly was describing, being edited for the first time, which was really was really helpful. But also, it's a really interesting. It's quite a choppy experience when someone's dicing up your words and all the rest of it. If I'd been doing this on my own, I'd have simply banged it out, and that would have been done. So that there are definitely there are differences of production and how things came to be. Um, that again, I think some people were just more experienced at than, than others. I think probably the editing process was the most mm. difficult difficult bit actually. Um, after after that, it was. Um, yeah, it was it was a good experience, but yeah, it, it's just a very different process, you know, completely different process. And a lot, you know, a lot of us have all cut our teeth just independently producing our own thing, very much being used to doing it our own our own way. I think one of the reasons why this thing worked quite well was actually, yeah, we had to give up some control in terms of production and artwork and you know ed- editing and all those sort of things. But at the same time, we got a lot of latitude in the stories. So I don't I don't like those sort of things where you get five prompts and you've got to include an elephant, a teacup. A giraffe and a ladder and, and some other random a hedgehog you know and that creates things out of that I, I find I immediately freeze creatively when I've got prompts I find them really hard to use so I think that I think that I think the master stroke here actually was with the brief Ollie set was actually giving us yeah there's a theme but we, there's, there was loads of ways in which it got interpreted and I think that really made everyone's voice come out really clearly so you, know, you can tell you know, when you read Zamel's work, it's Zamel, you know what I mean? Uh, but I think similarly with, with mine, we were able to keep our voice and concentrate on the story we want to tell rather than trying to hit certain points, which they can feel a little bit arbitrary, they can be a little bit crowbarred in sometimes. I think once you have the creative freedom, I think that that, what, that won it over for me, really. Uh, what about you, uh, Zabil? Yeah, it felt pretty similar to my usual process because I wrote the story, then we had some beta reading by fellow by fellow authors so at that point after the beta reading stage you have a better idea of what you need to fix and and what the problems are in the story so then you know I went in and I I tried to fix as much as I could and then I went to the editor and um so that so and then but but by the time it went to the editor it was already in like a really good shape so so there wasn't too much feedback at that stage. Um, and, you know, it's, it's for me, I always like to have like this sort of collaborative process. Like even with my novels, I have, I send it out to like 20 people to beta read and maybe only like, you know, seven or eight will actually do it. But I try to get, you know, as much input as I can. Um, so it, it, it felt very similar. And I think it was a really good process to go with because you need you do need those layers of sort of feedback and it, it definitely helped you know i think make it may it helped make all the stories like a lot stronger hmm. i've just realized i'm a control freak listening to that set 20 beta readers for a novel i'm coming out in hives over here in the uk that's um i, th- I think uh, yeah, that's really. I'm I'm debating actually whether to use one for my next novel when it comes out um, because I feel like I'm trying. I feel like I'm trying to hit so many marks. I'm not sure whether I'm objective enough at whether I'm hitting them or not. 
so I'm actually thinking about using that process for the first time. But yeah, actually quite difficult for me just think giving that giving something less finished oh. to your audience and seeing what what they make of it. I, I imagine though people enjoy obviously people enjoy beta reading, otherwise they wouldn't do it again, Samuel. But it's uh, presumably that that they they see that as a bonus rather than a negative. Yeah, I, I even have alpha readers. So forget mm. about beta readers. I have alpha readers who read what I've written without any without me even looking at it or editing it even a little bit. So, you know, all these layers sort of help. Uh, to, you know. It's a horror story. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's unedited. I'm, I'm just reeling from that. Just wang it straight out. Yeah, you know, I mean, wow. I think the, for, for alpha reading, it needs to be people you know and trust, like not just randoms, right? So, like, my alpha readers are like my friends, basically. So they they, right. they know not to be too go too hard and be too brutal, but they'll tell me what's wrong, um, what I need to fix. So it's you know, it, it works for me. Do do beta readers come in making notes? Boss, yeah, I think Tim's about to needs he needs an, an ambulance. Uh, for 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 beta reading, do, do they come in before or after an edit? I think typically they come in after like an initial edit. Hmm. So probably second draft uh, is a good time to get beta readers in there, but not, but it should be before your editor actually takes a look. Hmm. Tim, <laughs> you see the look on your face. <laughs> He's just processing. Yeah, I've just discovered. I've discovered there's this facet to my personality that I've never really recognised until this uh, until this recording. So, it's, uh, I mean, Holly, you sort of do beta reading and put stuff out to people, don't you? It's, 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 I think I, I think I'm the anomaly here. I am the problem <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, I think my process is similar. It's probably a little bit different in that I tend to go to beta readers after uh, my editor's taken a look, but I. My editor is also a friend of mine, so she tends to look quite early in the process anyway. Mm. Uh, and it may still yet go back to her a few times to do like developmental tweaks and things like that. So, um, but yeah, I do have like a core team. I mean, I don't have 20, I have about eight people that I go out to quite regularly who do beta for me um, and come mm. back with various feedback. It's very useful, very good way to see where you kind of, you know, plot holes or where there's any things that you might not have considered you know if you've got somebody that's suddenly going across the entire breadth of a town in like 10 minutes or something and you haven't noticed they're very good for pointing those things out oh, nice. and uh, i think i've talked to all of you before one of your books was released and we've, we've talked about nerves and the you know the the anticipation the anxiety that goes into the whole process of having release day come and you know getting ready for it and getting you know kind of it being out in the wild was this experience different for all of you with because you're in a team because it's it's a collective was it different was there a different type of feeling getting ready to for the books to ship I think I feel I still feel nervous uh, I don't know who's read my story and I still feel nervous at the thought of my story being read and and what people will will think about it because it's still my story. It's still got my name on it, um, and it always it's always like 
nerve wracking for me whenever I release a book or whenever I release anything, how it's going to be received. Um, that has never changed uh, because, I mean, even if you're like beta readers like it and your friends like it and your editor likes it, that's there's still a very small sample of people. Uh, so when, when, when it's out in the wider world, you know, you're always going to get unexpected feedback. That's something I've realized and both in the positive and negative direction. So, you know, it is it is always kind of nervy and, you know, that's that's just how it is. I do think that with uh, doing something like this with an anthology, it's there's definitely there's still the nerves there and there's still the apprehension. But I think there's there's a bit of comfort to be found in the fact that there are so many different stories and different voices. So, you know, if I put a novel out and somebody doesn't like it, they just don't like the way that I write, which is, you know, it's fine. And there's always going to be people who don't like the way you write. But that's it. They don't like the book then. Whereas with an anthology, you know, inevitably you're going to have people who like certain stories better than others and who are going to find authors that they kind of connect with more than maybe somebody else. So it's nice that there is that uh, diversity in it that means people have got more choice and more, you know, freedom to decide, oh, well, I like this or, you know, that bit wasn't for me. We want them to love all of it, obviously, Hmm. but I think, you know, it's nice to know that if they didn't like my story, for example... Um, which, you know, of course they would. Why wouldn't they? Um, but if they didn't, that you know, they might like Lee's or they might like Trudy's, you know, and mm. there's going to be something there for lots of different people. Yeah, I, mean, I think that I feel more confident just because it's been of the Kickstarter funding it, so I know there's a readership straight away. So that that's, you know... When I first started out, you know, I, I released my book and went to da and then no one bought it. So, you know, I've, I've had that experience because I, because I thought, marketing, what's that? You do that months after, surely, once the initial clamour of, you know, fanfare has died down and it, was, it turns out your fanfare's your mum. So it, this one feels a lot more, um, you know, it feels like it has more prominence. And, uh, and so I, I feel a bit more, bit more confident. You're right, you've still got that. You know, will people like my story? Will they like you know? There's that obviously that nerves, but I think yeah, I think it's diluted actually in my in my view by by having the twelve of us kind of there. You know, it's not such a big deal if they don't click with my writing, but I'd love it if they enjoyed other people's and uh, and went you know went with that. And I think it's a great way to find you know your, your next your next read actually. And certainly from my point of view, it's I've I've known I've, I've sort of had interactions with all all the people involved in this this particular project, but I've not read all their books. This is the first time I've been able to read everyone's writing mm. and get at least a sample of it because I was also on the um, proofreading team at the end just getting those final final line edits done for getting the book out mm. and formatted so it gave me a chance to read them quite a lot actually which was its own horror story in some respects but um, but yeah I think it's where am I going with this I suppose it's it, 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 it's a, I think it, you know the stories are great across the board they're not necessarily going to be for everyone for everyone's taste but the quality level's right up there and I think yeah we kind of we stand or fall together a little bit on this, but I think predominantly we'll, it'll be more be more up, upwards trajectory, I guess. So I, I'm feeling reasonably confident. I suppose what I'm I'm more about now is the Kickstarter launch is its own thing, and I'd love that to translate now into actually people 
you know, picking up the anthology when it goes on general release next month, which is the, the 16th of November, which is a really important date. Everyone should make a note of in their calendars. So, um, you know, that I think for me is a little bit of nerves around will it get that good reaction when it actually goes on, on general sale as well? Because uh, I'd love it if it did. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask you because we, we do have the uh, release date on November 16th, 2023. Uh, there is, is available an ebook. Is Will there be a, a physical option for people who missed the Kickstarter later, or is is just Kickstarter backers? Uh, so yeah, so physical books have gone out early to people, and they, they've come out as um, an exclusive. You get an exclusive cover as a Kickstarter backer, oh. basically. But then um, we flip to the the red cover that I'm modelling on this um, <laughs> on this T-shirt. We've um, we flipped to that for the actual general release. Hmm. So and that'll be um, both paperback and uh, ebook as well. And uh, there will be an audio book as well, which wow. I should mention too. So um, R. J. Bailey is a. Uh, busy recording that i think holly you're kind of more in touch with him on that that side aren't you but he's um busy working on that so i suspect that'll probably be early 2024 but i don't know if you only know any better uh, if we are lucky and everything goes to plan it may be a little bit before that um it hmm. is currently quite a significant way through the production so i think it's uh it's just waiting on rj really hmm wow cool so yes i know people will ask if they miss the Kickstarter, they'll be able to get a, a physical copy of it later. So that's good. Yeah. I know it's I know it's premature to ask, but it, will there be a volume two? I know it's early. I know I know you're just finishing this one up, but I have to. I know. Yeah. Just 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 hang on. <laughs> so, um, I, I think never say never with these things, but um, yeah, this has been a lot. Of, I think it's been a lot. I want. I personally would like to enjoy. The book being released, being out, being bought. But, you know, I, I, I suspect I will get myself involved in something like this further mm. down the line. But but I think running it and running, you know, running the Kickstarter and those kind of things, it, it's 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 its own challenge, actually. And it's it's meant other projects have had to go on hold for me. So I think when the time's right, absolutely. But uh, whether it's the anatomy of fear or something totally different, I, you know, I wouldn't like to say right now. Yeah, it's been a positive experience. I must stress that it has been positive, <laughs> but uh, but also a lot of work. Yeah, I think I think Tim hit the nail on the head there a little bit where he said about you know you do something like this and it's a great positive experience, but it does take up so much of your your time and it's for me it's been almost like having a second full time job. So mm. all of my own projects, my own books, my own writing have really been on a back burner for the past you know year and a half. So I think now that it's it's winding down and we're getting close to the general release. Uh, I mean, obviously I said earlier that I've been working on something else. My attention is definitely focused now more on getting back to the projects that I've been ignoring for the past year. Um, but, you know, in the future, I, I love doing things like this. And I, I always say I'm never going to do it. I get to the end, I'm like, I'm never going to do this again. And then within six months, uh, someone will come up to me and have an idea or suggest something. And I'll go, yeah. And then it will just start all over again. Uh, and I just, yeah. I love it, really. <laughs> I can't stop myself. It's like an addiction. <laughs> I had to ask, because you, you know that there's readers out there like me who are like, I want more, and they're going to... I haven't even read it yet. I'm already hoping there's a volume two, so, uh, well, you know, I had to ask. 
the funny thing is when we actually initially went out to the the 12 authors we actually had a list of about 20 25 authors so there was like a not that they were a second choice but just we kind of went through the list in order and it just so happened the first 12 all said yes straight away but we did have kind of this list of like oh, okay well if if someone so can't do it we'll go to this person so you know i'm not saying that i'm going to do it but i am saying if anyone else wants to there is a list of authors available <laughs> I think it's worth making the point that there are fewer body parts available, though. So, you know, they do need... But I'm sure there's still plenty left of some description. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, this, this needs some thought, Steve. You can't just throw this idea out there and just expect us to run with it without some, some serious consideration. <laughs> I think I've, given, I'm, I've almost given Tim a heart attack like two or three times already on this, on this recording. <laughs> uh, so, yeah... No, I just I had to ask, but uh, I know we we're, we're just at the finish line, so I know that you're just wrapping this one up, and it's a long long process. So I can understand it being just like let us get through this, don't don't bother us yet, kind of thing. Uh, for for each of you, what was your your biggest takeaway after you now that you've completed now that the book is being shipped? What's the it could be personal, professional, um, any anything at all? What's the the biggest takeaway for each of you that you've taken away from this experience? Everybody's rubbing their chance. <laughs> um, it, it was my first horror story I'd written in a few years. So what I realized was that I, I missed writing horror. And there's something about horror that, you know, is not captured when you're writing fantasy. Even, even though my fantasy does veer toward horror and incorporates a lot of horror elements. But pure horror is just, you know, it's a different kind of fun and it's, it's a different mindset. Um, so it's, it's I, you know, I started thinking like, you know, do I want to write like a pure horror novel even or maybe a novella or something? Mm. Or, or do I want to veer even more toward horror, like to really in the horror spectrum? of horror fantasy basically so that that was sort of something that this project like really made me reflect about yeah i was just going to come in i think i sort of kind of semi-answered that one before but i think for me it just opened the door to a whole new world so um I suppose, yeah, I suppose if I'm going to build a novel onto that, it's going to be actually a bit like someone's just mentioned, sort of writing something something different. It would be writing, I suppose, pure, you know, fantasy horror, if it can be pure, if it's two different things mixed together. But it's, um, but yeah, I think it, that, that was the big takeaway for me, that I, I came out of it with, with bursting with ideas of things I could use that perhaps, whereas before I'd felt not not constrained by what I was writing. I'm really enjoying that, that world and, and finishing the stuff off in there. But it's great to know there's something else next. There's that fear as an author. The, the, the authors are full of fear, by the way. <laughs> I don't know why we just do call it Author's Terror or something as the title of this book. Um, will I run out of ideas was one of my early fears as a writer. And I found actually my problem now is, will I live long enough to write all of my ideas down before something happens to me? Um, and this is one of those examples where I now really want to write this new novel, but I know I've got to knuckle down and do some other things first. But it also means that I'm confident that when I get to something new, I've got a new project, you know, waiting on the blocks, ready to, ready and raring to go. So, you know, quite enthused by that, actually. Yeah, I think at the risk of sounding kind of 
cheesy and, and emotional about things because, you know, I, th- I feel like we've gone down the this is now therapy route. I think the biggest takeaway that I took from it was just how much response there is and how much support there is within not just the the readers um, and the kind of the audience, but also within the writing community itself and the indie community. Um, not only did we have support within the group itself of authors, but, you know, we had people reaching out to us. You know, I think some of the authors were talking to Dirk Ashton about Kickstarters and, you know, we spoke to Zach Argyle and, you know, lots of other people. Um, I can't even remember everyone's name, but there was so much response in terms of giving us advice and giving us support and getting out there and not just with the Kickstarter, but throughout the whole project. And for me, certainly there were times when... I did feel like, oh, this this is a huge project. I'm getting sunk in this and I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, people in the group came out and they took on extra responsibilities. And it's amazing how much of a community there is. And, I mean, we I recently went to the Bristol Con convention. Um, I was there with um, a couple of the other authors from the anthology. My husband came with me and he actually said, you know, you always talk about the writer community. He said, but I didn't realise that it really is a community, mm. you know, and it really is people connecting and sharing things and helping each other out and lifting each other up. So for me, this whole process was really about getting to see that at a really kind of deep and very kind of very cathartic level as well. So that's that's the end of my therapy for today. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot cheaper than a therapist, so you know, it's okay. <laughs> uh, so for, so you, you've all mentioned you know your own project has, had to be kind of put on hold and you know kind of be waiting in the wings while you work on this one. What are all of you working on now, and what are you looking forward to to doing next? Uh, I have a Gunmetal Gods Kickstarter, so that's taking up a lot of my time, as well as the fourth book in the Gunmetal Gods saga, fourth and final book. So these are the two things that are like absorbing all my time right now. Um, I've also been working on horror, other horror short stories, like, like uh, you know, t- sort of similar to what Tim was mentioning, like fantasy horror. And trying to see if, uh, you know, th- these are sort of just experimental things and trying to see like, uh, you know, it- it's a very challenging sort of uh, mix of genres, but I'm I'm trying to see if there's some like, there's a novel in there somewhere. So yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's a very, like, my plate is very full. So um, yeah, that's, that's how it is these days. <laughs> Um, yeah, so what am I working on? So I've got, um, having said, never never do an anthology ever again. I am doing another anthology, uh, but I'm very much a contributor rather than in the driving seat with this one. So um, The Advent of Winter, uh, which is a, a 24 authors writing on the theme of um, basic winter fantasy theme, base, um, essentially. Um, so that's uh, that's currently got on the Kickstarter journey right now. It's hit its target, which is obviously absolutely fantastic. And uh, that's going to be released to... Um, Slightly, it's a slightly strange project. This one, it's going to be released as an advent mm. calendar 
in book form so work with me on this um so but if if you're a kickstarter support you'll basically get delivered to you each day of advent so first through to 24th of december one of the 24 short stories we get delivered to you and so you get to a short story a day as part of the as your reward and then it's need to be packaged up and put out to uh to release subsequently so kickstarter supporters get either an ebook version of that assembled mm-hmm. together or they get a physical uh, that we're doing a hardback book as, as a really as the, as the main sort of physical reward and then a, we're planning to get on to general release next year with the with that project as well so uh, so yeah I've, I've sort of contributed to that so that, that'll be effectively my next release so um november for the anatomy of fear and then december for the advent of winter i've got a couple of things coming up pretty fast on the blocks um in terms of more personal direct projects, I'm working on the Brotherhood of the Eagle um, fantasy series. So um, again, like Zamel, uh, fourth and final book in that series is um, is taking taking shape. I've, I've had to pause it for a while for a couple of reasons, but um, it's definitely going to come out as I'm finishing the series. Definitely going to conclude next year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting back into that. And I, again, feel very energised on that project right now. It was a little bit writing a bit of a slog and you know you can go through these phases where it's not necessarily clicking or, or working and again doing something different is a really good tonic for for coming back fresh to something so um yeah got back got back into the driving seat with that and i can see where how that novel is going to end now so mm. i'm i'm quite um quite excited to sort of know where the series is going knowing how it's all going to finish just a small matter of writing the novel so i'm sort of on with that about halfway through now probably more like two-thirds oh, actually wow. so That'll be my next big release in, in 2024. Will be um, will be uh, uh, Broken Brotherhood, which is the fourth and final book in that series. Wow! When, when did when did it click for you what the end would be on the fourth book? Um, so probably probably only about uh, three or four months mm-hmm. ago. So I've done that really weird. I've, I've never done this before. I've I've written the ending. So I've never felt the need to do that before. So I've wrote books one, two, and three kind of very much sequentially. Just throwing ideas at it and then I realised that my, my plot lines were sort of just kind of going crazy and I needed to rein them back in so I found it really helpful to write the final mm. chapter and know what I was trying to do knowing the fate of some of the principal characters and then what I was working to and as soon as I did that it, it unlocked the second half or the final third of the book it has now sort of come together as a result of doing mm. that um, so uh, yeah so probably um I probably know the fate now, the central characters, probably that kind of came about earlier on in the summer. It's just a case of, of writing now, writing what will happen to them. What about you, Zamil? Did you, did you know how it was going to end, or did you, did you write the last chapter before you started? <laughs> no, no, no. I, um, I do not know how it's going to end. Oh. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, have a vague, I have a vague idea, but... I think that's probably the biggest challenge that I'm facing uh, is how how do you like end something that has been going on for so long? Um, how do you do it in a satisfying way? How do you tie up all the loose ends? So it's like a very big, probably the biggest challenge I've had as a writer so far. Hmm. I'll just second that. This is the hardest thing I've ever written. Forget this anthology and all the stuff we've just been talking about. From that, trying to bring a four book series to conclusion is is it's a different it's a different challenge completely from just growing the story organically every every book. So yeah, I should have thought about that a lot earlier than I actually than I actually <laughs> did. And uh, Zamil, when can we expect the fourth book? When do you think we may get our mitts on it? 
Yeah, quarter two next year. Ooh. So probably summer next year. Um, yeah, that's that's my hope. And uh, and Holly, you said you're working on on you're getting your cover designed and you're putting some finishing touches in your project. When can we expect that? And what else are you working on? So at the moment, I'm I'm actually also as Tim mentioned, a part of the Advent of Winter anthology. Mm-hmm. So uh, my st- I mean the story is written. It's like ninety nine point nine percent there. It's just at the stage of just doing the last final tweaks and things. Uh, I'm also working on a standalone. I say stand- it's currently a standalone. Um, story which hopefully will be out early next year I haven't set any dates yet because at the moment it is with the editor so we're just working through that now the cover's being designed it's you know it's, it's late stages but it's still too early to really put anything out there that's too concrete but I'm really excited that's a it's a brand new world it's a brand new story but if for anyone that read the skybreaker anthology that i mentioned earlier it, i've actually taken the character that i created for that story and i've put them into this new world so it's been quite fun and you know for people who read skybreaker there's a few little nods to that story in the mm. novel and it's it's been fun to try and tie those two things together but without making them in the same world so that was a lot of fun uh, and what else have I got going on? I feel like I've got a lot. I feel like there's something else really important that I should be doing that people keep mentioning to me all the time. But oh yes, book three. <laughs> am I allowed to mention Vanguard here? Is that is that oh, is that is that not not to be mentioned? No, no, it's 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 in the works. I mean, it's there's a book there at the moment. It's not anywhere near done. the The story. I know what's happening. There's like a plot plan. It's just trying to finesse it and get it to be the book that I want it to be. So, you know, at the moment, it's a book. It's not the book yet. (laughs) But we'll get there. We'll get there. Hmm. Nice. So one last question for each of you. Uh, If you... If you could, if you could choose, if you could have chosen any body part, if there is a volume two, let's just pretend there's a volume two. Which body part would you choose if you had free reign to choose any body part you wanted, internal, external, any body part? What would you choose and why? That's a good one. I'll go. The creeping death of Dandruff. <laughs> I feel that maybe I'm now now I'm a good enough writer to to bring that off. So. Uh, yeah, if if we if there is a volume two, that's what you're getting, and just remember, Steve, you asked okay. for it. <laughs> I mean, just off the top of my head, I feel like I probably wouldn't move a million miles away from where I was already. So I did neck, so I feel like I could maybe do something with like tonsils because mm. I feel like that kind of being unable to speak or to scream out if you know something is happening is a pretty scary idea so i could i could probably make something out of that i would say i had i had ideas for like eyes and ears um but i would i would i would go with ears i think like hmm. stories that play a lot play around with hearing and uh, you know that sort of thing could be really fun. So, yeah, ears. Hmm. What would you choose, Steve? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be a tough one because you. I, just hearing all of you talk, I was just I was just thinking maybe teeth. 
I think you could do some cre- creepy things with teeth. Uh, you had mentioned tonsils. Tonsils would be really because tonsils are weird anyway, right? So I think you could do some strange things things with teeth because we depend on them so much and they're you know important to us. But I think you could do some some cool things with teeth. We're so, all just thinking now. It's like everyone, the imagination's running riots. <laughs> feel free to, yeah, feel, I'm looking forward to the, to the teeth story by one of you. But yeah, I think you could do some some cool things with teeth. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, so I know it's, uh, the time gets away from, I know it's getting late for all of you, but I wanna, really want to thank all of you. It's great to see all of you again and to chat and uh, to see everyone. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Tim, can you tell us where people can find you and your work? Um, yeah, I've kept it pretty simple. So if you Google or look for Tim Hardy author, uh, you'll usually um, find me. So I've got a website um, that's timhardyauthor.co.uk with all my social media links in there. So that's probably the best place to go. And Holly. Uh, yeah. Before I start, I just want to check something because I mean I know this is audio, but mm. I'm quite aware there's a little photo of me in the corner of my screen. I'm just wondering, is that what you guys can see, or do you just see a blank screen? Just a blank screen. Okay, I mean that instantly has made me feel relieved because I'm just looking at this photo and thinking, you know, that's <laughs> my my screen froze at an inopportune moment when my face is kind of doing this weird thing, and I was like, that's just a horror story in itself. So I just wanted to check that. Um, <laughs> I've been very impressed if you'd sat looking at that for the past hour. But in terms of where people can find me, sorry, going off track. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is at Holly Tinsley. Um, and the uh, E in Tinsley is a three. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. I do have a WordPress writer website, which I am at some point going to update. I promise. I've been saying this for a year. But otherwise, generally, social media is the best place to find me. And Zamil. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. So my handle is at Zamakhtar, basically on all of them. So you can find me there. My books are available on Amazon. Um, and I do have a website, Uh Yeah, so that's how you can find me. Nice. I, I would imagine having a, your, a website would be very important now with all the different, well, the madness around platforms i think it's important to have that kind of home base you know just just in case things hit the fan so it's great to to see that but thanks all of you again i really appreciate your time it's it's great like i said it's great to talk to all of, all of you again look forward to doing it again soon thank you for having us uh, it's good to talk. yeah yeah it's been we'll great. talk we'll talk very soon <laughs>